You're listening to SAS Nordic, the sassiest podcast in the Nordics. Hi, I'm Daniel. And I'm Thomas. And we are experienced SaaS professionals that are curious about how other successful SaaS companies go to market, scale, build winning teams and great products. Join us on our journey as we speak to Nordic SaaS leaders trying to get hold of their secret sauce. And today's guest is Heta Ruika, the VP of Product Management at Cebo. You invest the time in, in building the trust, try to show some results. And you can go in the beginning go to the important meetings where you can kind of measure how it's it's going uh, with the founder so that you hear each other out and then don't try to push them away i don't think that's the point that to kind of make them obsolete but utilize them make them feel also involved uh, but then keep the kind of decision making clear and transparent and that it happens in the right place We are back with another episode of the SaaS Nordic Podcast. Welcome, everyone. And today we are going to go into product. Product and specifically how to take ownership of a product organization product that was previously owned and run by the founders. Easier said than done. Yeah. And I'm happy that we could take this angle since we a while ago spoke with a founder that sort of experienced the same thing, but from the other side. So, so I think this can be interesting to, to talk about. Well, why not get right into it? Let's do it. Today, we are honored to be joined by Heta Ruika, the VP of Product Management at Cievo. So welcome, Heta, to the show. Thank you. Thanks, Thomas and Daniel. Happy to be here. It's, it's great to have you here. And you're becoming a little bit of a SaaS Nordic staple you've been with us in our network you've spoken at our event and now we have you at the podcast here that's really great to have you here and, and really get to get to know you a little bit more and and tell your story to all our listeners in case there's somebody that doesn't know you Heta, from the past give us the brief story who are you who am i well uh i'm a i'm a Finn helsinki native here i've uh, been in the sauce industry all my life so you were born into it. <laughs> almost, but I've been at Sievo for almost all of my career. So, so eight, eight years today, and uh, and uh, yeah, that's that's me in in very short. I I like tech. I like business. So when when you don't spend time at Sievo and dealing with tech stuff, like what else do you do? When I don't do do work, I like to lift heavy objects and throw them around. So I do Olympic lifting and uh, and powerlifting as well. So that's me. Wow. <laughs> That is so cool. Like, so like when you do Olympic lifting, like, do you do all of them? I don't know what they're called. <laughs> uh, it's a snatch and clean and jerk are, are the two things you can do. But yeah, somehow it, it makes me happy. I don't know why. So heavy lifting on the spare time and heavy lifting uh, at work as well. <laughs> yes. Like we're, we're not done with the heavy lifting yet. Like we're going to dig into this a little bit. So like, do you also compete in it? Like, and, and no, no, I don't. I'm not that good, but, but. Yeah, it's a, it's a nice hobby to have. It makes you feel strong and uh, yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, cool. Th- Thomas could use some of this uh, as well. <laughs> so if you have any tips and tricks for him about how to lift a little bit so your 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 back doesn't hurt, send it our way. Well, in your background, Daniel, you have some kind of thing you do pull ups on. I don't know how many pull ups you you do in a week. Uh, it's not possible to count because it's zero. Okay. <laughs> so, so, so let's go ahead. Uh, and uh, what can you tell us about Cievo, uh, Heta? What are you guys doing? Cievo, we do um, procurement analytics. So we gather a huge amount of data from our customers, from their ERPs and whatnot, and then make beautiful analytics out of that so that they can 
run their business or or purchasing better. Um, yeah, we've been around for 18 years, so we've been going at this for, for quite a while. Uh, and it's been an exciting domain. I, I know procurement is a bit maybe boring for many people, uh, but for example, it's it's been a big player in, in everything related to CO2 recently. So so those are really exciting topics. Bo- boring is not the, is not the right word. It's it's actually rather exciting. But for somebody like for somebody like me on the sales side, yeah, I can just say no offense to any procurement people. I don't like them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the the funny thing with with working with in procurement is I always tell this to our our CEO is that we're, we're in a great business. But the only mistake we made is that we're trying to sell to the people who are pros at buying. So exactly. That's, that's the most <laughs> difficult aspect of our, of our business. Yeah, it's like, uh, you know, it's like, you know, arguing with your wife when she is uh, a d- sort of a have gone strategic argumentation courses and not very good either so yes indeed let's dig into a little bit what CEO does you mentioned procurement like actually what is it that you do and for whom do you do it specifically are there any particular companies verticals that you you cater to yeah so we serve the large enterprises in the world um, the Kellogg's and Levi's and and whatever we go pretty much across industry so so we don't have a really industry focus. We do anything from healthcare to consumer goods to IT to to whatever. Uh, defense we don't do. That's that's probably the only one because they want to have their data on on a certain soil. But otherwise we go across everything. Okay. But yeah, any any mature procurement organization or mature organization that has enough spend, billion dollars in 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 spend is is good customer for us. Uh, that has a complex purchasing organization and uh, or operation so to, to set CEO a little bit in perspective what can you say about you know what's your ARR how fast are you growing number of customer employees and so on yeah so as of today we have 130 customers uh, we've been going growing at around 30 percent a year for for the past 10 years or, or more and uh, this year we're hitting around 21 million ARR I think okay so uh, yeah, that's where we are today. And uh, how is this operation funded? Actually, that has changed very recently. So we've been around again for 18 years and we've been bootstrapped for almost 18 years. So <laughs> we just uh, a month ago, I think we, we announced the news that now we have taken an, a, mon- a minority investment uh, into Sievo uh, with the aim, of course, of just growing faster. So, okay. so that's exciting exciting for us in the near future can you say how much yes 44 million uh, okay came in that's a fair amount yes uh, and uh, what does that mean for you as a, a VP of product management what, what can you do you get the piece of, of that money I'm gonna fight for it yes no of <laughs> course I'm gonna get a piece uh, we took the funding now uh, because we see that there's a huge potential in the market that that we really it makes sense to invest more now and and uh, be a bit more aggressive. Uh, so yeah, definitely going to get my share uh, for building the product. All right. So a while ago we we talked to Avtar Yasser, the the founder and CEO at Catalyst One in in Norway, and and then we talked about what it is like for a CEO to sort of let go of the product and instead, you know, fall in love with the organization and so on, which can be a painful process for the CEO. But this time 
we're going to take it you know the other way around so how do you take over product leadership from the founders and and could you just take us through what the story at CEO regarding the founders and the product? Right. So we still have our two founders, Matti and Sammeli, here with CEO. So they are very much actively involved. Sammeli is our CEO. Uh, but indeed, they, uh, I think they headed, especially Sammeli, kind of the product development for, for many, many years. And uh, overall, product management was launched only five years ago in CEO. So still quite a young part of the organization. So what, was he already there 18 years ago? Sameli, yes. The founders, yes. Wow, he started it like when he was 12. Yeah, that's a long time. Well, he's a bit older than myself. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> but all right, so the, they have been, you know, so very close to the product for, for almost f 14 years then. Yes, yes, indeed. So was it clear at some point, you, you mentioned that... Uh, you were coming in here, here was it four, four years ago or so? Yeah, Seva has been around for 18 years. And yeah, I guess for the first 14 years, the founders were very closely working with the product. And then maybe four to five years ago again. So they figured out, we figured out, everybody figured out that that's somehow not scalable anymore. We need someone, some people who work more closely with the product and are able to take it forward and, and the rest of the organization needs the attention of, of the CEO. So that's when, when product management uh, was, or the foundations of product management were laid. All right. And did the, did the founders also realize that this was the, you know, the way to go moving forward? Yeah, I think it was, it was pretty clear. I mean, some of the very concrete, um, manifestations of the problem were that uh, it was increasingly difficult to take uh, the product forward in such a way that all of all in engineering understood where we were going and that the, the product development was was formulated well and uh, and we actually had a solid strategy and not just doing project by project development whatever happened to be on the top of mind of somebody so I think the founders themselves yes very much uh, realized that this needs to become its own function and, and so forth. So was this due to a time constraint on the two founders? Or, or was it also, it's not just about time, but we need to rearrange how we work with product and engineering. The teams need to incrementally look different. Yeah, I think that's it. And uh, it's, it's both of those. So definitely a time constraint, but also already back then we were a multi-product portfolio and... Uh, uh, a bit before that, we still had engineering organized in more of a project type of organization, them doing incremental development here and there. And uh, at some point, it started to make more sense to arrange teams by, by products so that they could actually learn what those products are about and, and uh, make the development easier that way, that they would also always be working with a similar or the same domain that they knew well. Right. So how does this look in practice then? Do they come to you and say like, Heta, we think you should head this. And actually we haven't had too much time to think about how it should be done. It's a blank canvas, go and figure it out. Or, or did they already have an idea of how to set it up and then you had to execute on that? No, actually, uh, so four years ago, I wasn't actually even the first one. So we did, uh, they did actually first go for an external hire and uh, that wasn't too successful. I think mainly for the reason that that yes, it was kind of like that. That hey, we heard that we or we figured out that we need this product management thing. So can you come and do this for us? And 
and somehow there wasn't enough time to build the trust and uh, like especially if you're the founder and you want to take somebody external and you expect them to suddenly know your product strategy and be as good at it, good at it as you are it's gonna fail like uh, if you don't give them enough time and what did this mean to you as an individual you had not done a, a transition yourself like this like you know how do you figure it out? Like, where, where do you start? So, yeah, after um, the first external hire kind of had it worked out, then I got the role after after being a product manager for a couple of years. And, uh, yeah, definitely a new challenge for me. I didn't know how to lead and build a product organization. But uh, where I started, I think, which was a good choice, was building the organization and the team first. And, and I think we made a very conscious decision with the founders that, it's okay if I'm not the sole owner of the product strategy for the first six months or nine months or whatever. Let's take time to make sure that we align on it and, and setting the expectation that way, giving room to grow. And I think that was a, was a key to success. All right. Now you have been through this process for, for quite some time. And what benefits have you got by, by doing this, would you say? Well, benefits for CIO, of course, uh, I mean, it just makes sense that there is a, an organization focused on, on figuring out like what is exactly the product that we should be building. And uh, today we're, uh, we're 15 people, so it has definitely scaled out of just two founders. Uh, I mean, the whole organization is, is a lot bigger nowadays. How big is the whole organization? Uh, so CIO was close to 300 people today, so... And, and and did you say 15 or 50? 15 in, in product management and all of product is around, so with engineering is around 70, 70 people. Okay, so decent size. Yep. During this period, what has been the main challenges or, or maybe bumps on the road, would you say? Uh, good question. It's, uh, I think it has gone actually fairly smoothly. Uh, I think most of the time we have been during these two and a half years, we've been trying to understand like when, when do when does the transition really happen? So when do I own the product strategy? Um, I think actually teaching the rest of the organization has been been very important in that. So it comes with me taking the responsibility and and putting my organization there to to have the discussion, but it's also for the founders to to then also act upon that. So if somebody from the rest of the organization comes and says that we need to do this, they don't take that decision, but they take it to me and, and to the correct part of the organization where that's discussed. So it takes takes a while for the, for the organization to learn uh, who's in charge of what. Were there a specific time when sort of, you mentioned there was a transition period, was there a time where you woke up and, and then, you know, now I'm running the product strategy. Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. I, I tried to think of it like, when did it actually happen? <laughs> I think we realized it at some point, something very concrete, uh, or how we realized it was that when there started to be a lot of trust and, and confidence on both sides that that it's, it's going well, um, me being in the same meetings as the founders with an analyst or a customer or, or anything, like... It's totally obsolete to have both of us there. Like we, we can take the same role, and and if if we're both there, then then the other one is taking a nap. Okay. So so when you get to that level, you know you're good. 
So when you're talking to to like Gartner and Forrester and the founder, you know, is doing something else. Yeah. So when you know yeah. that you can fill in or that you're sharing the same story and, and you don't need to worry what the other one will say and, and you have complete trust that you you are actually aligned on the strategy. So kind of my aim has not been to push the founder away, but uh, to have that sort of trust and and uh, alignment that that we can trust that we're, we're talking the same story. Three ways to fail in sales, brought to you by Memory. One, clog your pipeline. The fuller it is, the fuller you feel. Tip two, never use a plan. Predictability, eh, it's just boring. Three, forget the CRM, probably sucks anyway. If you're ready to take control of your sales and make how you sell your competitive advantage, Try Membrane for free today at Membrane.com. So how do you do to involve the founder and, and how to make sure you are aligned and, you know, to feel them not, you know, being excluded in, in what's happening? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question as well, because you do need to make the founder involved and, and also like they have been the success factors of the product for 14 or 18 years or, or anything so you should take them them on board again not to push them out uh, some very concrete ways of course you do share some for example yes meetings with customers and meetings with analysts uh, but then also you can involve them in any internal decision making so whether you're having a what we call a round table in Seattle where we discuss the future of a certain product, you can take the founder as, as one participant there. I think that's very healthy also for the founders to feel that they are actually there as participants and not as some other high-level being that has extreme power over everybody, but just as a normal participant. Uh, and then, for example, we also have uh, separate discussions with our head of sales and customer success and product, where we also include the founder uh, when we discuss things that broadly affect our so-called offering, so whatever might have might affect the product or prospects or current customers, and so you need to find these kind of places where where you can involve those people in the right way. Yeah, I think it's interesting, but there there must be at least I'm imagining that there must be another side of the coin here. You're coming in, taking over somebody's baby. Yes. And you realize there are certain things that maybe the CEO and the founders, they've been really passionate and been advocating for this, but you feel like I'm going to kill this darling. Like this is not, this is not a good idea anymore, <laughs> or maybe it never was. Yeah. Like, and I think this is probably one of the most common challenges that, you know, new product owners find themselves in. Like, you know, when is the right time to kill something or to change direction that significantly differs from what the founder was on? Like, when do I have the courage to do that? And how do I position that? Did you have any scenarios like this? That has happened. So uh, I think it was a year after I started, we we killed one product, which I think was a great victory <laughs> for, for, for us and, and for myself and the, the organization. Because indeed, I think that's uh, a curse of the founders that they really, really love their products. Uh, and when you come in, with a slightly different angle, you don't love them as much, and, and that's also a very healthy thing. Uh, but again, I think it, it's 
it's a boring answer, but it goes back to trust. Uh, so you first have to show that you know what you're talking about and show some results. I don't, I don't care what results, but show something. Right. And then when you you have that that ongoing, uh, then you can start to argue for for killing something as well. And uh, so, so how 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 early on in your journey did you realize that this product needs to die? Good question. I think it's. It was pretty early on. At that point, I had been at Sevo for for quite a while, and I think we somehow all secretly knew that this one product is is failing and it's it's not going to work out. Like it's it was a really difficult thing to do because on a logical level, the product made so much sense, and we all wanted it to succeed, but it didn't. Um, but then, yes, we were able to to kill it in the end. So, I think actually what helped me was that when I started to say it out loud. Kind of the rest of the organization was like, finally, somebody is saying it out loud. Like, can we please just kill this piece of crap? <laughs> and uh, and that gives you a, a bit of strength. And and did you take it first with maybe the teams that the commercial teams that had a struggle, maybe selling this or didn't see the results? Like you you connected this with the head of marketing, head of sales. Yes. Or did you go directly to? the founders and be like, hey guys, I don't think this is going to work out. No, it, it was actually already back then, already with 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 the offering team. So so with, with customers and, and head of customers and head of sales and myself and, and the founders. So then when you have that discussion and sales doesn't believe in it, customers doesn't believe in it, then and and I don't believe in it, then it's it's pretty obvious what you need to do. But but still, yeah, yeah. it takes 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 that bit of courage. And actually that's if I go back a little bit, that's probably also one symptom of not having a strong product leadership before is that you have these orphaned products or products that don't work, but nobody dares to kill. So so that's also a sign of, of you should get a product leader in the in-house. Yeah, because a challenge with that exercise, I'm just imagining here now, I've luckily never been through this on a, on a product side because I'm working product. But when you're killing a product that somebody has been so passionate about, mm-hmm. there's been people that have worked really closely with the founders on that product. You're also telling them somehow that, okay, this baby of yours that you spent time on, it's now dead. Like, and, and then there's a risk, I'm imagining, that they feel like, wow, it was much better when uh, Samali was here because we could work on this fun product. Did you experience anything like that? No, I think, I think we experienced the opposite. I think... How it manifested at Sevo was that the founder had, in the end of, of his period in, in leading product, so little time to run product that people kind of felt that we're doing too much of the exciting stuff and really not focusing on anything. So then I think the whole organization was really happy to actually kill something. Um, so yeah, opposite kind of a reaction. All right. So I have another question here uh, that might be delicate. So. The founders have probably, most certainly, a long-time relationship with some of your most important customers, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, does it happen that these customers, you know, either they reach out to the founders when they think, you know, something is missing, or maybe they are just on an informal lunch and things come up and they say, you know, we think your product really should go in this direction or we are missing these features and then sort of the founders gets it on their to-do list on um, uh, so to speak from that customer or maybe the founders actually promise something during that lunch that doesn't happen anymore that i'm happy to say that it doesn't happen happen anymore and i think anymore 
Well, I guess it does has happened at some point in history, but probably not not during my time anymore. I think we were pretty conscious about it that we need to kill the so-called uh, founder highway where important customers get to go faster and decide what to do. Um, but we killed it pretty early on. And I think our founders also uh, figured out that actually they get a free pass out of those situations where when they're like, okay, well, great idea. Here's our VP of product management. So go and talk to this person. But that also then enforces that it goes the, the right way, way around and, and uh, people don't, uh, or any ideas don't get filtered through the wrong way. Yeah, it sounds to me that you have done a good job at this i think uh, not all companies have, have managed to sort of been so um, you know uh, strict about it or been so um be, been able to draw that line thomas have you ever been cornered by a ceo promising a feature to somebody you had no idea about <laughs> i have been in a situation where i planned to uh, to get resources and release a feature and then suddenly a ceo or a salesperson come and sort of do something that uh, overthrows the roadmap. Yeah, but it's it's good to be conscious of because I, I do definitely recognize kind of the the issue or the sentiment where it's coming from. I think it's it's we had this discussion with our founder that that they are yearning for those occasions where they can talk to key customers and, and uh, be excited about new ideas and products. Uh, but still somehow we need to balance that that we keep it on the right level and uh but yeah we've been trying to consciously look for opportunities where they also get to do that i get to do that all my product managers get to do that but somehow that it works all together yeah yeah, okay. yeah. and what are those circumstances is that sort of customer advisory boards that they participate in or what are the forums where they can get a taste of that sweet customer input it can be anything and everything. It can be our own customer event that we run twice a year. It can be uh, the founders still sometimes go when they travel. They might meet a few key customers. And I at least take it as, as help and input. And, and I'm happy to get the notes by Sammeli from a key customer and, and, and so forth. So so I think we, work, we collaborate there quite well. Uh, but yeah, and I think it's also healthy to some extent for them to stay on some kind of a pulse of the customers, even if they're not leading product anymore. Right. So it's it sounds like it's been you know a rather smooth transition and moving you know from Samuel and his co-founder running this to you running it. But if you look back at it, like, is there anything you would have done differently to to have an even greater result? Well, as I said, I think I think my, a big part of the success was like giving enough time for me to take over the so-called product strategy or however you want to put it. Maybe it would have helped if we would have had a more clear-cut way of saying like now it has happened. We did realize it at some point, but yes, that, that would have helped. But otherwise, I think I think not so much. I think we did, we, we did many things the right way and we taught the organization as we taught ourselves. So, so that worked out well. All right, so listen and learn. Mm. Uh, and, and talking about that, do you have any tips for CPOs, product managers that have this in front of them mm. taking ownership of the product? Yeah, well, I would say that invest the time in, in building the trust, try to show some results. And you can go in the beginning go to the important meetings where you can kind of measure uh, how it's, it's going uh, with the founder so that 
you hear each other out. And then don't try to push them away. I don't think that's the point, that to kind of make them obsolete, but utilize them, make them feel also involved. Uh, but then keep the kind of decision-making clear and transparent and that it happens in the right place. Is there a magical uh, trick for how to transfer the trust that the, hopefully the development and product and engineering team had for the, the founders to transfer that over to the new leader to feel like, okay, this is the new captain now. She's running the ship here. I think that was actually fairly easy, to be honest. When, you're, when you take this kind of a position, you obviously have more time to do it than the founder because the founder, if they're the CEO, they're doing everything else as well. Uh, so you talk to the developers, you listen to them, you maybe they have a problem, they have a legacy application that they want to get resolved and that has never reached the roadmap. You put something like that on the roadmap and take them in as allies. That uh, I think is a very, very quick way to, to create trust and transparency. Yep. I've heard of stories where when people uh, buy companies or where there's a big transformation project, I don't know if this would qualify as a big transformation project, at least in my mind. They work with these plans, whether it's a 100-day plan and say, like, this this should happen in the next three months and so on. Mm-hmm. Is that something you worked with? Is that something you would recommend people have? Like, here is the big plan that the key stakeholders have access to, and they need they need to know where we start and where we end and what happens in between. Uh, so what do you mean with the plan? Like, the, like my own personal plan or a product roadmap, or what do you mean with this plan? The, the plan for the transition. Ah. Like, when we go from saying Heta is going to do this to, to, like you said, 100%, this is Heta's show. Yeah, that probably would have helped. Uh, we didn't have it that transparently anywhere. Um, so yeah, that, that might have helped. Hmm. So um, moving forward a bit. So what is the future for you and your product organization now? Is it to build new products, kill off products, or to sort of acquire and add products to the portfolio? I don't know if any Siavonian is now listening, but I think we have a few products still to be killed. Let's see to that. <laughs> Um, but no, uh, so again, we just took took an investment. I think we're, we're going to try to grow really fast and then um, really focus, double down on what we're doing now. There's a huge opportunity in the procurement analytics space, especially in CO2 analytics, which we're all super excited about. So, so uh, just trying to get people in to do all the great work we have to do. All right. So is there anything particular that you're looking for right now? Some certain kind of talent or, or maybe, I don't know. Something else that would be good to have. <laughs> I think you, if you ask that question from any product leader, they will ask for developers and uh, more developers and uh, more developers. So if you have any of those. <laughs> okay. Uh, w- what does these developers need to be good at? What, what, what is the sort of the ideal developer profile? Uh, I think we can take in many kinds of people. We can take... Uh, developers who are more business-oriented to kind of lead the product development uh, with the product managers, or we can tell, take in technically extremely skilled people and uh, have them as architects or, or just doing the development. I think we're pretty pretty flexible to that. We just need more. So welcome to a developer listening. Yeah, I don't think you'll find anybody on this call. Like you know, Thomas is the tech person here. Like I, if you may be under gun threat, I might be able to edit an HTML string, but that's it. Right. <laughs> yeah. So take the chance to work with Heta. If I were a developer, I wasn't. Uh, I wouldn't miss up on that uh, opportunity. So to end off here, 
Is there anyone that you would like us to try to find and get on the show? And what should we talk about, do you think? Good question. I don't know if there's any person in particular, but I'm, of course, always excited about uh, hearing about um, organizations, products that have anything to do with saving the environment or anything like that. So I would challenge you to find those kind of companies and, and have them on the show as well. Okay. Okay, so let's find the, the good good companies that, that helps to make the world a better place. Yes. The ones that make the world a better place. I like that. That is a good way to, to end this episode on. So, Heta, big thanks to you for joining the show here. This was much appreciated. And I'm sure that if people are uh, listening to this, if you're listening to this and going through a similar change, I'm sure you can chase Heta down and she will give you some more tips and tricks here. Gladly, yes. Uh, and remind me, Daniel, uh, Heta has signed up to be a, a content contributor to, to write articles for, for the SAS Nordic website, right? That is correct. That is correct. You may have seen some of them. There might be coming some more, but Heta is indeed a content contributor. There will be some really juicy stuff for, for product and product engineers coming from Heta. Yes. So looking forward to that and uh, see you around. Thanks, guys. Pleasure talking today. Daniel, now I want to know, what's your main takeaway from this episode? My main takeaway was, this is a trust exercise. You need to gain and win that trust from the founders, from the people, however you do that, but it's a trust exercise. And the sooner you can do that, the better it is. And then you need to be courageous and, and, and do some bold decisions. As an example, kill a product here. That's why you were, you were hired here. You need to drive this forward, but build that trust. What about you, Thomas? What are you taking away from this? What I'm taking away is that it can, might be the wrong decision hiring that experienced VP of product management or CPO externally, because that can make that process a lot more hurtful when they don't know the product from the beginning, they don't know the history, they are not familiar with the organization. Might be better to take someone internally and take time for that process to be done. And um, well, in this case, it, it seemed to be a, a perfect uh, process. So uh, just a big congratulations to Sievo. And uh, glad to hear also that you have high ambitions and wanting to, to grow to be yet another successful international Nordic SaaS company. We like that. We, we, we like that a lot. And speaking about liking, and, and since we had Heta on the show here, she's also part of our product network. Absolutely. And I know, Thomas, that you're working really hard here now to rearrange, reshuffle, take that, not just the product network, but all the, the networks to the next level. And I know there's people that have been asking us, like, how do I take part of this? Where do they go? Absolutely. Yes, as you might know, we have a CEO network, we have an executive network. You can go into sasnodic.com and read more about them. You find them under a community, the menu option community. Uh, I also want to here highlight the product groups. So we have three product network groups to this date, uh, where we have CPOs, BPO products, uh, CTOs from, from various SaaS companies, if they have an ARR above 2 million euros. And we are going to expand the network here um, to next year. So if you're a product leader uh, that fulfills these requirements, I really hope to see you in those groups. So, uh, yeah. Or if you know someone that you think should be a good fit, let them know. We'll love to have them. 
indeed we will so uh, thanks again we're looking forward to doing more stuff with you guys if you have some great ideas for guests for the show here or want to help us with planning sassiest 2023 thomas where did they find us you can find us at sasnordic.com you can reach out uh, at linkedin uh, we try to we have a pretty active uh, page there but you can also always contact us directly uh, there or through contact at sasnordic.com so if you are enjoying the content that we create please head over to spotify or itunes give us a five-star review it helps us a lot to get more visibility to the podcast so thank you for listening and see you around cheers <laughs>